Welcome to Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan, a podcast about the art and hobby of miniature painting. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Today we're going to start off with a few housekeeping items. Yep, the first thing I have to do is I have to make a correction from my review. I uh, misspoke and said that Tego slash Level Up Hobby were once Kabuki Studios. I was under that impression, but I apologize. They uh, sent me an email and said that they're not they're not one and the same or never were. So, my bad. I apologize. Tego slash Level Up Hobbies. The second thing, Dan, is that we got another listener email. All right. That's two. That is two in total. Two people. We've got two listeners out there. Awesome. <laughs> hey, we get to change everything to listeners now, not just oh, listener. That's true. It makes we're, things so much easier. We're, we're in the plural now. That's awesome. So our email from the dice holder says, hey, I just wanted to give you a shout. You asked for feedback on the show. I really enjoyed the podcast. I have found new people to follow and to get to learn more about people I already know. Keep up the great work. Well, I responded back saying thank you, etc. and asking for permission to read the email on the show. And his response was, please feel free to read my email on the show. I also should mention that I like the topic discussion also. I enjoyed the Jack the Ripper show a lot. Thanks again from the Dice Holder. So Dice Holder, thank you so much for uh, the email. Uh, we really appreciate it. Anybody else out there who's got any feedback, you can hit us up at listening to paint dry at gmail.com. We'll also have a link to that in the show notes as well. But again, thank you so much. So with that in mind, we're going to try something a little different. We received a lot of that positive feedback for the Jack the Ripper episode, and it had us thinking about a format that we could follow for the next bunch of shows. So it turns out we really enjoyed doing the last format with the Jack the Ripper's episode, and we decided to try different types of genres out there to explore with our listeners. Having background information and points of reference are fantastic tools for us to help on our journey to become better, braver, happier painters. So today, we're going to focus in the world of steampunk. It's a fascinating topic. There is so much lore out there, even though it's a relatively new genre. Mike, why don't you get us started with some background then? So what is steampunk? According to SteampunkAvenue.com, steampunk is futuristic yet retro at the same time. Steampunk is truly one of a kind. The genre blends the aesthetic and technology of the 19th century with elements of science fiction. It's literary and an audiovisual work that takes place in an alternative reality where technological progress is based not on electricity, but on the steam engine. Hence, steampunk. Now, it's interesting that the origin of the term is relatively new. There have been many works now that are considered kind of the seminal for the fiction for the fictional genre, and they were published in the 60s and 70s, but the actual term didn't come until the late 80s when an author uh, whose name was K.W. Jeter, uh, who was trying to find a general term to describe the works of the, uh, authors like Tim Powers and John Blaylock, or James Blaylock, um, and used the word steampunk uh, to kind of describe it, and it just kind of took off from there. And so what kind of happened is the main thing, as the lore started to develop, so did kind of the cosplay slash fashion side of it. But the interesting aspect of steampunk, though, is that it has its roots in much earlier uh, literature, such as 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne, uh, Golden Compass by Philip Pullman, and also there are spatterings of steampunk-type inventions in H.G. Wells' books, etc. The first actual steampunk novel is considered to be Titus Alone by Mervyn Peake, which was written in 19, or published in 1959. And so 
in considering in the world of the backdrop of like horror fiction or uh, mythology or sci-fi, et cetera, and fantasy, steampunk's a relatively new, uh, a, a relatively new genre, Dan. Okay, well, I don't read a whole lot, so I mean, I know Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea because I think there was a movie, and I think there used to be something <laughs> at Disney World. Uh, so. If 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 I didn't read about steampunk, how would I figure this stuff out? Well, you know that that's a great segue into the movies, man. So, so some of these movies that I'm going to point out probably don't meet the aesthetic of what purists of steampunk um, have in mind. But you know, these are kind of ones that are widely known by the general population, and they may not necessarily associate with kind of a steampunk feel. The first one is Wild Wild West. And that starred uh, Will Smith and Kevin Kline, um, and it was based on an old television show uh, of the same name. And kind of, they took it to an extreme. I kind of enjoy. I enjoyed the movie for what it was. I didn't look at it from a critical steampunk eye, but I definitely enjoyed it. Um, other movies like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Children of the Lost City. One of my personal favorites, and I love the book, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. And I feel like the movie had a little more steampunky feel than the book did, um, which if you haven't read any of those series, those those are fantastic. Then there's the Van Helsing movie, the one starring Hugh Jackman and Kate Beckinsale, because there's been a bazillion Van Halen, uh, Van, Van Halen. There's been a bazillion Van Halen. Yeah, definitely Van Halen. <laughs> um, uh. And then a series of unfortunate events is also considered a steampunk movie as well. Now, there's plenty more. Uh, I didn't mention The Golden Compass. Uh, of course, that's got the steampunky feel. And hey, you know what? If I missed one that's important, let, let me know because it might be something I'd be, I would dig watching. Tell us at listening to paint dry at gmail.com. That would be awesome. So any of those? Have you seen any of those, Dan? Uh, I have seen all of them. Nice. Mul- multiple oh. times. I missed one. There's an animated one called Nine, just the number nine. And I looked at I looked at her notes and at my notes, and I'm like, why is the number nine there? And I realized Nine is a movie as well, and it's an animated movie. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> now it's also it kind of so we have kind of that background, but then we also have the background of novels and movies and things like that. But there's also kind of a steampunk aesthetic as far as clothing goes, and that's typically the Victorian fashion with uh, kind of Goggles, lots and lots of goggles are in steampunk. If you, it, it, that's kind of a mandatory item, I believe. If you're in steampunk, you need to have some goggles. Um, kind of, uh, there's the Victorian aspect of it, cosplay wise, and there's kind of the almost like factory worker look that goes along with steampunk as well. So you kind of have two dichotomies of different feels for it. So why don't we talk about? Uh, how all this stuff relates to the world of painting. Why don't we start start with talking about miniatures and different miniatures that are out there and different companies that make them. I'll start off. Reaper has actually a, a pretty extensive steampunk line. I was surprised. There were upwards of 50 miniatures from Reaper that were in the steampunk feel. Um, also, something that I've noticed that's very common too is taking other fiction and turning it into steampunk I noticed several different companies have taken things like the characters from The Wizard of Oz and put them in a steampunk aesthetic, which is kind of cool. You know, the Tin Man becomes a steam cyborg, etc. Things like that. Dorothy's got a, instead of a 
left arm. She's got a, a broom. Steam, a, well, I was going to go a cannon, but steampunk. Oh, I don't know. I don't cannon. know unless it now it, if it was a steam operated broom, and she was wearing goggles. We're in the money. Harry Potter had a steam powered broom, right? No, that was no. Magic. Okay, all this magic. magic. Okay, maybe it's a different show. Magic. Okay, that, that is that is an entirely different show. Um, Scale seventy five also has a line of miniatures as well, both seventy five millimeter and uh, thirty five millimeter and bus a bus to choose from that have the steampunk aesthetic. They kind of the names of their their steampunk thing is kind of unified across their miniature line, and then they have a chibi game line, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Green Stuff World doesn't have any miniatures that are steampunk, but if you are into doing steam, like if you're basing or have a steampunk aesthetic that you want to do, you can get cosplay stuff from them, but you can also get great bits to do basing with. Uh, So they they have watch parts and gears and things along those lines, and so that's a pretty cool thing to know about. Um, You had mentioned to me earlier hassle-free miniatures have some that kind of go along those lines. Um... You can also find, like, there's other there's stores that ho- host a bunch of them, too. Like, you, know, you said Noble Knight Games had a, had a slew of steampunk miniatures on it. But the truth is, you could pretty much take anything that's a Victorian model and kind of give it a steampunk aesthetic. And so, even if you were to look at things like, there's a, a game called Tombstone by Black Sun Miniatures. And there, there's a game associated, but really, you buy this for the miniatures. No offense, Black Sun, but the, the, the game is okay. The miniatures are fantastic. Um, those are all Western with also Victorian factions and things along those lines. So those are those would be great substitutes or miniatures you could do conversions with, etc. So what about, did you find any other miniature companies, Dan? Uh, you know, there's so many of them out there because I don't, I, I don't think there's any intellectual properties that say you can't do steampunk so as you said like wizard of oz and and changing that aspect and and blending them together uh by putting gears on them or uh leather outfits and things like that it um it, you're able to expand what you're doing and, you know in the miniature world you know like you said all you have to do is cut an arm off and put a robot arm on it paint it brass or or bronze and you kind of have a steampunkish kind of feel to it. Put a top hat on it, some goggles, put some gears on the floor, and there you go. Um, I think that's probably why it took off because uh, the aesthetics um, are kind of neat. They're um, they're a little different than the very static type of feel that we that we have uh, with most of our miniature game systems, um, and it also lends very well to three uh, D printing. Uh, mm-hmm. So even though I don't you know, off the top of my head can think of many games systems or companies that produce um, the steampunk style, which there's uncountable number out there. Um, It's equally is populated when you go into the 3D world and look for steampunk stuff. So you're going to have, you know, the corsets, you're going to have the long Victorian dresses, you're going to have top hats, you're going to have goggles, you're going to have gears, you're going to have different kinds of weapons with steam apparatuses on them everything to make whatever you're doing into a steampunk kind of aesthetic. And it's, it's kind of neat. So it's, there's, it's, I think it's a little bit different than some of the other genres out there that, that we look at in our miniature world, because there is no static. I mean, yeah, if you have an entire army, but the idea of each of your figures wouldn't be that they all have a right arm that's mechanical. You might have a right left. 
you may have you know uh, uh, a gear for an eye or something so and so looks like he's from world war one but uh you know he's half his body is mechanical and he's got to wind it up so each of your figures will look different because they'll have different pieces that are replaced and is using a, a steam apparatus so it makes it kind of interesting and kind of fun to do it's definitely for uh, folks who like conversions Right, before we delve more into that, let's just I'm gonna throw out a few games that I found too that have some miniatures in them, just so people have there's another place that people can go. Uh Malifo has some steampunk themed stuff and they have some bases that you could purchase that look exactly like kind of steampunk. Uh Scale seventy five, like I said before, they have a chibi game called Smog Riders, um, which they're they have a set of characters in their stream, steampunk universe, and they converted them all to chibi-style models. And chibis are the ones, kind of the cartoony, large head, tiny body. Looks like what you want, like the picture that gets drawn of you when you go to a theme park or something like that, like Bush Gardens or something, you know, when you go in. Um, and then, the, the you know, we both found Twisted by Demented Games. And the, I love their miniatures, man, for the steampunk. Their, yeah. their miniatures are so tight. Yeah, those are very good. So those are my games. I know you had some other ones that you found. Well, there's, uh, you know, you're talking about Wild Wild West. Well, there is Wild West Exodus that has a steampunk aspect to it. Um, Callus Games did a game called Leviathans, which is kind of like uh, Battlefleet Gothic, which is large ships. So you can imagine they look kind of old and steam out in space and, and lots of blimps and, and balloons. and um, So that you have that game. Uh, and you already talked about Smog Riders, right? Yes. Yeah, so I don't have to talk about that one. Uh, Space uh, 1889, um, that's another game. Uh, uh, there's there's also War Machine. You have giant robots that are steam-powered, so obviously that's uh, part of the aesthetic um, also. Yeah, um, actually, War Machine it lends itself, especially with some of those, uh, what do they call them, jacks? War those jacks. are the giant. Yes, those are the giant robots that are steam powered. Right, and so though that that there's so much potential to do that, and you, I totally think you could get away with doing a steampunk theme army, like you know everybody in that kind of aesthetic. So, anyways, go oh, ahead. very easily. Uh, those the, off the top of my head, those are some of the ones I can think of. I mean, we can also go into video games, which we don't really need to. Uh, as you mentioned, cosplay is really big and. Um, it's out everywhere. It's very, very popular just because you can put anything, almost anything together and come up with a pretty decent outfit and have a history that goes along with it or a story. Right. And I think that's a great little uh, signpost into where to go next. I think probably the most alluring thing, one of the most alluring things to me about steampunk is first it's newness. And secondly, is the only limit is your imagination. I mean, that like, there are so many different ways you can go. There's no golden rules or anything along those lines. Like maybe that it's got a your goggles, you know, that's pretty much it. I mean, <laughs> well, I'd like to add a little bit something to golden rules, even though we don't really follow those or need to follow those with steampunk. Um, because steampunk is about mechanical, industrial, kind of grungy kind of look. Um, there's, you know, you always see screws and cog, cog wheels, watch parts, clock parts, mechanical parts, um, and these are things that take places of, of arms, legs, 
heads, eyes, stuff like that. So it's kind of, even though they're not golden rules, that's part of the aesthetic. And when you see it, you kind of know what that is. You're not saying it's a Borg, but ah, you know what? Star Trek, if you had a Borg, I guess that would be kind of sort of steampunkish looking because they just threw some mechanical stuff onto a human body. So, hey, all you Star Trek people out there, I guess you can tell me where I'm wrong there. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I, what I meant by golden rule is that you there's... I don't feel like with steampunk that you're you're limited by um, things like you know other games like uh, Warhammer 40k and even in War Machine you have this issue too that this is what this faction looks like this is what a Space Marine looks like this is what a Tyranid looks like this is what a Warjack looks like you don't have any of those type of things with steampunk you're really kind of free to go yeah I mean I, you're absolutely right. It's got a, it's got a definitely got a mechanical feel to it. But then the other side of it is that, you know, you could paint a Victorian model and throw some gears on the base and say it's steampunk, even without doing any of that to the model itself, because it still fits the kind of the time period and the other part of the aesthetic, which is, you know, that Victorian look per se. And it doesn't have to be Victorian per se, because there's also world war one world war two steampunk there's western steampunk which actually i i like the 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 victorian stuff but i actually kind of like the western aesthetic to steampunk even better um but that's personal preference anything for you so dan you had done some research on color palettes why don't we talk a little bit about that uh you know, as you mentioned earlier you know there's there's two different realms uh when we see cosplays and we see uh some professionally painted figures you have the, the 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 sepia monotone type of colors that go towards like the the, the browns, the creams, you know, dark greens. There's natural colors that blend well with mechanical parts like brass and bronze, and sometimes some silvers. And you also have the the bright colored ones, the more that the traditional that we think of uh, Victorian era, where you have bright blues and and deep purples and those are also an aesthetic uh, i think when we talk about uh steampunk in in a gaming world i would imagine most of the time we're going to be going into the more traditional brown sepias creams uh earth tone colors and that seems to be where we end up even if we don't want to because you know you have a lot of leather on eh, you can paint your leather different colors but sometimes we're gonna just go with traditional one because it is uh during that 18 late 1800s which is western like you mentioned earlier um which is you know raw leather and that sort so you have that um we already talked about some of the rules and some of the aspects of it i was just going to say it seems like the color palettes really a lot of times and if you look at something like scale 75 steam and punk paint set colors are very desaturated they're not necessarily vibrant per se but they're kind of have that feel of worn not bright yeah and that's if they have that yeah that's a pretty awesome book oh it's a paint set i don't know if it's a book oh damn it there's a book steampunk and miniature book from scale 75 and i see lots of earth tones and browns and bronze and green but they're all scale 75 colors right of course well of course uh, you know and that's what well like you said though what's interesting is so you're not going to see you still see some steel but you're going to see more copper bronze brass and thrown in iron as well and, uh, those are going to you're more 
muted metals, you're not going to see as much gold and silver per se. It still exists. It's still out there. But it's definitely something that, you know, that's definitely those follow more along those earth tone feels. One of the things that we talked about with Jack the Ripper was that the setting kind of created itself to lovely kind of diorama feels to it. So what do you think about with steampunk? Does steampunk lend itself to that that type of diorama as well? It does. Um, usually the atmosphere of steampunk is going to be um, like an industrial area. Uh, that's usually the, the setting that we have. So again, we go back to browns, bronzes, dark muted golds, blacks, oxidations, greens, stuff like that to 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 kind of make that setting and usually the focal point of that setting is going to be the person that's in that uh, environment um like you would imagine a uh like a vintage photograph or something being uh that used to live a long time ago but like in the future a long time ago um so that's kind of like uh, how i would think of uh having that atmosphere and building the atmosphere around your figure you know, it'd be totally cool to see if somebody would do a steampunk diorama in that all all in sepia, like it was an old Western photograph. Like, you know, you go to those places on the beach and you can take an old timey photograph with your family. It would be badass if somebody did a diorama. I'm pretty sure there's, oh, someone has to have done something I've seen like an, that. I've seen an army done that way for another game, for a Western game. And I thought that was just, it was hot. Yeah, I mean, it was... And they went through and explained like how many different sepia, because you know if you t- you say sepia, Games Workshop sepia is different than Scale Seventy Five sepia colors, which are kind of the two the two that come to mind. They don't have a sepia ink per yeah. se, but they have intense wood and intense chestnut. Those two are very close to different types of sepia. Reaper sepia very very brown as opposed to like gw's which is oranges and you know so that you go uh, and uh vallejo's is very much it's closer to the gw and that it's kind of got that orangish yellow tint to it as well so the sepia is a broad range of paints and colors exactly and if you look up sepia miniatures well you'll come up with a bunch of colors that sepia color make any sense so wait so wait if i look for sepia miniatures i'm gonna if you look for sepia it's gonna come up sepia is gonna come up i promise okay i just wanted to make sure you know it's yeah i didn't want to confuse you there it's 2020 you just never know what's gonna happen you know (laughs) that looks kind of purple to me dan what's wrong with your sepia exactly exactly i was reading this uh forum thing the other day that somebody was arguing about whether this pink color was magenta or pastel pink and and i'm like uh, who cares just use it <laughs> either use it or buy a different brand you know what i mean oh you know i had a very long conversation with the artist mrs about that and uh, i was i was telling her how i read an article about magenta and she was just like yeah she's like it depends on how your rods and cones and your eyes pick it up it can be a red or it can be a blue because all it is is pretty much red and blue but um, so it's kind of interesting and it made me think a lot about if we were painting with a magenta, uh, it does it end up being like that is the, what is it though? What is the dress? What color is the dress? Is it blue or white or something? Blue or gold. I thought, I don't know. Yeah. Something like something that. Like that yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just your interpretation of it. And I think that's why sometimes when I'm painting with certain colors or if I do a certain mix, it doesn't look right to me because I'm looking or expecting a red or blue and I get something different 
because my eyes aren't just my eyes aren't picking up to it because they're so close together kind of like eating like two different kinds of cheese and you're like well i can't really tell what this one is it tastes like that one as long as you can taste it that means you probably don't have covid that's a good thing you know yeah hey do you hear that people are like having parties where like when they forget how everything tastes and then when their taste comes back then they have big parties and try out all these foods and stuff and then give everybody else that, covid no I'm just that i guess so. yeah it's a bit yeah it's like hey i don't have covid anymore and i can taste all these foods like oh my gosh I forgot how awesome it was to experience popcorn the first time right. or to experience, you know, that, creme brulee. That's it. I love creme brulee. And I hate it when people mess with creme brulee and like, I'm going to make like a berry creme brulee. No, leave it alone. Just make it creme brulee. Don't add anything to it. Leave it alone. So one of the things that I think is, I, I kind of already mentioned this though, but I th- this to me is one, it, it, I, I really... I can't emphasize this enough about one of the reasons I like the aesthetic. And I definitely, I put uh, uh, a miniature I found on Demented's website on my Christmas list because the, I just love the freedom that the newness of the genre gives. And I feel like sometimes I do get stuck in trying to paint things certain ways that there's an expectation of what it's supposed to look like. And I know deep down inside my, I bought the miniature. If I want to paint uh, a pink with purple polka dots, Space Marines, that's what I'm going to do because it's mine. But sometimes you do get stuck in kind of constructs that are created by the community or even sometimes in the lore itself. I feel like with steampunk is that you have so much freedom to expand and go anywhere you want. There's so many unexplored potential, so much unexplored potential with with steampunk. And, you know, that kind of like dovetails into other things. You know, when when you talk about steampunk and you want to apply it to other types of genres and expand beyond certain things, it starts to turn into different punks. You know, you're asking me before about diesel punk and what exactly is diesel punk. Well, is that wait, think, wait, um, wait, is that all based around Vin Diesel? It is. It's he's got like, you know, he's got one robot arm and he's got a flamethrower in the other arm and one of his eyes is missing and he wears a top hat with goggles. Nice <laughs> goggles. Damn the and goggles. He has, and he has and he rides a mechanical bull <laughs> that like is steam. Nice. So there's different um they're, they they expand out so you know we have um our um um like cyberpunk because that was the first time that that like punk term was used and then like each different area uses different types of punk i don't know how to even explain different punks so when we talk about steampunk and uh it starts to mesh a little bit with different genres uh it creates a different kind of punk uh, you know, the first one that I, I believe the first one, at least the first one I was ex- um, exposed to was cyberpunk. So that's like, you know, that kind of mid 80s kind of people have mechanical stuff attached to them or bright colors. And then you have like the leather stuff. You have that. But you also have the diesel punk, which we were talking about. Um, Adam punk. Well, one question, though. So for like cyberpunk, I feel like my first exposure to that was Blade Runner, really was Blade Runner, the movie. Yes. So that that yeah, that, that I, kind I of aesthetic, so okay. Yes. So we would have the two different aesthetics of dark and dreary with some bright highlights, and then you have kind of like the pinks and purples and stuff that we normally see. That that to me, that's that feels or 
that aesthetic is cyberpunkish to me. That's just my interpretation because that was kind of my first introduction to it. There's uh, some crap called splatterpunk, which is just like blood and guts. But hey, uh, they just want to put punk on the end of everything. So diesel punk. Uh, diesel punk is actually would be um, uh, what would be called the Mad Max because you're talking about like guns and uh, post-apocalyptics and rust and it usually has to do with pollutions and oil is involved um, they give that you know diesel feel to things and we'll probably talk about some of that stuff later on kind of my newish cool one is they call it ray punk but i've heard it uh called adam punk also and it deals with like that kind of like 1950s kind of sci-fi vibe where you know you have rockets and spaceships and and sometimes there's some goofy looking alien you know that's a biped with you know a mask on funky looking uh ray guns so like flash gordon uh buck rogers that's the old stuff that's that's another type of punk that you would you would find out there and, it, and it, then it just starts to expand and people's imaginations can create all kinds of things shoe punk and bio punk and watchmen fall under ray punk maybe then no uh what would um let's see let me think would watchmen isn't steampunk would be kind of close no you know what um i'm not going to give it a punk name there is a term for it but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. Well, I know it's kind of, it is revisionist history. I know it falls in that. You also throw... Well, it's an alternate history. Right. And that's what's kind of... Or you know, and I, 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 revisionist history. I meant alternate history. Yes. My bad. <laughs> yeah, because Nixon is, he's still alive and he's still president. Um, well, no, not in the TV show. Robert Redford is president. Oh, okay. I don't see the TV show. Oh, okay. Can can we actually? I'm talking about the real one. I'm talking about the the comic books, not the not the silly movie or TV show. The... Actually, the TV show was the TV show was fantastic. By the way, it was actually really good. <laughs> and I haven't seen the Lovecraft one either, so uh, shoot me down for that one. And finally, for all you audiophiles out there, there's there's Daft Punk. <laughs> Is that a genre for miniatures? Uh, I'm sure, you know, they have helmets, so maybe 40k towel probably would probably fit in there somewhere. <laughs> for the greater good. <laughs> yeah, it's for the greater good. So we've covered different types of, different genres, different types of punk, different things. Is there anything else with steampunk that we, we, we should add? We've also talked about color palettes, kind of a, a neat way to do a diorama, could be industrial feel, or... You know, like somebody fixing a ro- steam-powered robot, etc. You know, there's a whole, there's a bazillion places that you can go. Is there anything else that we need to touch on for steampunk? Uh, you know, when we were first talking about this show, we were trying to decide on something kind of small. Because, like, if you were to go with, like, a science fiction, it would be pretty big. And, um, yeah, steampunk is a lot bigger than I was thinking it was. Because it's so free with what you can do. And your limitations is, you know, there are no limitations. And I think this is a heck of a lot bigger <laughs> than it's a giant world. Um, we, I, I'm not even going to try to point you to different websites. You probably have seen them and have experienced them. There's really cool stuff out there. Find your niche. Just a quick search, you know, just joking around about steampunk and cosplay. Um, you can go into like gothic stuff and it just takes you all kinds of rabbit holes you can go into with this 
find what you like and have fun with it. Use your imagination. Throw a couple cogwheels on it, some watch parts, and you got yourself some steampunk. You know, we kind of say that that uh, tongue in cheek, but it's kind of it, it's kind of a cool thing about it that you know I, you just like kind of sparked something in my head. The kind of the the goth steampunk look because the goth has does have some Victorian kind of background at some level. You know, got you know, mm-hmm. especially in the world of gothic horror, there is a combination right there that is just fascinating to explore in the world of miniatures i mean gothic horror mm-hmm. with the steampunk vibe yeah i'm in I, I make that movie i'll be there eating popcorn um so I, I, absolutely or you know give me a gothic horror steampunk miniatures any day of the week that sounds right up my alley and and you're right man the freedom that steampunk offers is something that's that is it's refreshing it's fun you can go murky earth tones, but you could also go bright, vibrant colors of like the Victorian era. Like, cause like, you know, that's one of the misnomers is that Victorian England was all dark. Cause all the stuff that we look at besides black and white photography is that you see a lot of pictures of men in kind of darker colors, drab colors, but the Victorian dresses at the time and the female clothing at the time was much more vibrant and brighter. Um, so there's so much potential you can go any any combination of the two, you know, that that that's what's wonderful is that you can go with kind of muted colors and some bright colors and boom, you got that magic C word, which is cog. No, but that's a good guess. Contrast. It is steampunk. So that was a good guess. But you get you can get contrast in many, many different ways. So And even in steampunk itself, like when you have a the soft skin of a human being next to the mechanical arm. You know, there's contrast in and of itself. The rough texture of burlap and the materials that they were versus maybe the smooth texture of something that's metallic, etc. So there, there's so many different avenues to pursue for things that are contrast in steampunk that creates kind of that visual interestingness that we all love to talk about, you know, and, and makes your miniature stand out. I won't use the, I won't say that it makes your miniatures pop because that's kind of getting on my nerves these days. I don't know why, but it makes your miniature stand out. Let's the volumes speak for themselves. Ha ha. Look at that. Turning all this art knowledge into cliches. <laughs> One thing that, uh, you know, as we're talking about this, steampunk seems like it would be a good palate cleanser. A lot of, a lot of folks, uh, you know, when we look on the forums and, and read like, Hey, I'm, you know, I've hit this block. I've, you know, I'm, I'm in a rut right now. I'm sick and tired of painting my 5,000 points of space Marines. How do I get out of this? You know what? This would be a great palette cleanser because you can do anything with it, but you're still confined to try to, to, to work within that aesthetic. You're going to work on blending, trying to get those colors to work and try to build up that contrast. Yeah. You're working with some, you know, kind of monotonish kind of colors um but or the um but it, it's giving you a different outlet you're still continuing to paint you're still being creative and it gets you out of looking at bright blues or bright reds all the time now you're looking at something that was well muted and that might be a good refresh so that might be something um especially maybe maybe when when i get burnt out of painting my um 30k uh dark angels i'll uh Maybe I'll just throw some steampunk in there and just see what happens. 
not black platinum leather steampunk the the more browns and sepia ones <laughs> but hey you know and i think that's actually a great idea and so uh, you constantly see on forums and uh facebook groups and stuff you know like hey how do you get out of a slump i'm at a block switching over to a different genre like going from fantasy to steampunk or sci-fi to steampunk that is a great idea for for kind of cleansing your palate kind of putting some separation in between them the kind of humdrum nature of army painting per se um the one thing i will say is i i know for me Sometimes I have to be careful when I do something like that because sometimes I feel too free and I get stuck and I don't know where to begin. Um, and so like what you had said at the beginning of this, a great way to do that, to, to, to kind of overcome that is start out with reference material and lore and look at pictures, do, do internet searches on or Google searches on steampunk, etc., your those type whatever you're working it doesn't have to be steampunk but those are great ways to find inspiration to give yourself a plan to kind of guide yourself like if i if i go into a genre that i've never painted before i have to make a plan um even if it still feels free or something like that uh, i get kind of mental block when i don't know where to begin and so that's kind of that that's kind of my one little warning about that but i agree with you that it is a great idea to have it as a palette cleanser yeah i might give it a try you should man you should t- well, take a break from the grim dark world of 30k or 40k and get into the grimy dark world of steampunk <laughs> yeah i was just thinking like yeah i was just thinking is that you know you know we're, you know if we do a show on like uh, grim dark i mean we could almost say the same thing about it's like hey just look up dark steampunk and there you go there's grim dark right exactly but that'd be another show we'll just talk another show about all that because that would be another fun fun topic or genre for us to to look into agreed um agreed cool uh well uh now that we are done talking about that because i'm all steam the punk out (laughs) um let's uh let's talk about some other stuff let's see what's going on out there in our world so okay so what is on my plate well honestly i haven't made much progress painting wise i'm in that stage where um i've kind of i'm working on a miniature for a gift uh for one of my nieces for christmas um and i've got that kind of zenithal primed and i started doing a light sketch on it and i found out today uh, what her favorite colors are. So I'm going to try to incorporate now. Now I have a little bit more of a plan. I've been stuck on that a little bit, but I've really kind of, I mean, the, one of my main focuses I'm working on the sequitur prime, which was practicing non-metallic gold and freehand. And the freehand I'm doing is also non-metallic gold, which is kind of double dumb on my part, you know, Hey, you don't know how to do something. So do it twice in the same miniature, but actually it's coming along pretty well. I ran into some hiccups I did not like the NMM steel that I was doing, so I decided to change the knife blade. Um, armor is gold, um, and it was the only thing that was steel on the miniature, so it kind of stood out and took attention away. And so I actually went for kind of a purple aesthetic on the blade um, instead. So like I did the pur- the whole, like, I don't want to say purple non-metallic metal, but it's purple painted with a non-metallic feel to it the kind of the the lights and shadows on it, it kind of high contrast 
um, to give a kind of a bladier feel to it. But actually, uh, I was surprised at how much that actually kind of unified the model, that the steel was really standing out like a, th a sore thumb when I was painting it, and I was painting it very poorly, so that didn't help as well. Um, and I probably could have done the steel and added some glazes, etc., some purple glazes to it to give it some of that feel, but I am just not there skill level-wise yet. Um, if I was doing regular metallics, I probably would have just used purples to shade um, and give it that, you know, give it that feel instead of like going like a blue steel, etc., along those lines. But uh, besides that, I prepped a few models that I, I got a dwarf from uh, Reaper Bones Black that's a enlarged, it's called an enlarged smiter. Um, so I've never painted a dwarf before, and this is kind of a bunch of simple shapes on this dwarf. So this that'll be a palette cleanser for me when I'm done with my sequitur prime and before I start really getting into painting the the piece for my niece. Hey, that rhymed. Uh, other than that, nothing really new has come in. You know, I've got, I got a whole bunch of miniatures from that Kickstarter from Nocturna Paints, and uh, I've only played with one of those paints a, a little bit. I'm going to play with a little bit more on when I do the <clears throat> when I do the Puppet Master for my niece. So. That's kind of all I got going on, man. Um, I haven't been to new, any new stores. I haven't done anything really new since the last time. What about you? Any Kickstarters or what's on your desk? Oh, I've been like knee deep in hobby crap the last like two weeks. Uh, let's see. So uh, let's see. Forge World sent me the Lion L. Johnson and I've been working on him and damn is that model so much fun to paint i maybe it's the size maybe i need to get out of those little 28 millimeter stuff and go a little higher he is a blast to paint i'm having a lot of fun with this guy so much so i'm just going to take my time and maybe over the next couple of years finish him off because i'm enjoying it so much um <laughs> uh, let's settle down now so, dan For the next couple of years let's be realistic hey you know i got that i i got that Thunderhawk sitting in my basement that's like 15 years old one of these days i gotta paint that stupid piece of crap up someday um so that's really what i've been focused on in the last week i've been trying really hard to take pictures but i've really been just stuck like painting this guy and I'm, i've done it for the last week and a half or so uh, a couple hours a night um enjoying it a lot having fun um let's see so what was it two weeks ago we met up at uh, our game garrison, a shop that's uh, kind of out where we live, and uh, they had the Chimera paints, Chimera colors, and uh, so I tested the black and white, and you tested what color? Orange. Orange, yeah. Uh, so I played with that for about five minutes and decided it was like, um, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but they were by far the best paints I've ever painted with uh so about two days later i went out and bought the rest of the set oh you did actually you pulled the trigger huh <laughs> oh yeah dude there's so it is amazing you know i i i try very hard not to say it's the tools that make good uh uh artist um but sometimes it sure helps a lot and i've also found that these paints like my raphael's a little bit more than um some of my other paintbrushes so i've noticed that um 
they have a kind of liking for him and they work very very well so it's kind of weird because i haven't used my raphael in a really long time you know what and, other paint uh, does as well I don't the know. scale 75 artist tubes those work really well with raphael's as well yeah okay well maybe it's because their thickness mm-hmm. they are man that stuff is like a paste almost a paste uh, but i've really been enjoying it the reds are super bright uh, i haven't played with the blues but the white and the blacks mix up very well oh and it's just such a creamy smooth uh finish i i enjoy them I, i'm having a lot of fun with them and i can't wait to play with some of the other colors um i used uh i used the okra i don't know what the exactly the name of the color is it's like the yellowish okra color i use that for johnson's hair <laughs> and it just came out nice <laughs> i'm sorry i'm 13 years old apparently <laughs> my johnson's got yellow hair <laughs> uh so, so um let's see so um I check my emails every day because I'm an idiot, and every once in a while something will pop up on Kickstarter. So I got a notice last week that my first wave of Battletech stuff is ready to go, and they confirmed my email for the 18th time. So I should be starting to get some Battletech mechs in and everything else that I have paid for two years ago. Uh, And then yesterday or so, I got... um, a notification that my ghost dry brushes are ready to ship. So in the next week or so, I should be getting lots of boxes of really cool Kickstarter stuff. Uh, I've been waiting a long time for these things. Um, uh, COVID uh, kind of f things up for a lot of people, and Kickstarter was one of them. So it's taking a little bit longer to get here, um, and that's cool, and that's all right. Um, so what I was uh, talking about before about you know you check your your emails and everything and i have uh you know 50 different emails accounts to, for all these things uh that something popped up for uh the the thing uh miniature game and that is probably one of my top two movies of all time so i didn't even read it or look at it i just went and said support and then i read over everything i was like oh this is pretty cool um I think it has another week or so left on it. I probably should look inside and see what else it's got. But every day I'm getting at least two emails for uh, updates because there's so many um, there's so many people that have, that are purchasing this thing. So it's going to be a pretty big game. So you get all the main characters. You get uh, um, special bags, all kinds of stuff. I probably should pop it up and look at it. Uh, but I'm pretty stoked about this one. This is going to be a lot of fun. Is it a, it's a but miniature just, game? Just, it's a minis game? It is a, mini- it is a miniature game. I think there's cards. I think it's card-based. I'm sure there's some dice in there, too. I don't care. I can throw all that stuff in the trash. I just want the figures because it's the whole crew. And they're going to have, like, alternate uh, poses and things like that. I won't actually I won't actually throw away the game. I'll probably try to play it. Um, but they're going to have multiple scenarios. And then I think the last one I looked at said that they were going to have a second board game that's going to be, uh, I guess, a kicker or something for the prequel movie that came out. So they're going to make all those characters and then make that base. And you can use those scenarios also. So I'm pretty stoked about that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to paint those guys up. Uh, I already have the Big Trouble in Little China one. Didn't play it. Don't care. But I got a whole bunch of cool characters. Uh, and figures because that's what they're about um so that's yeah me throwing away more money before christmas 
during a, a pandemic. So. <laughs> Damn, dude. Yeah. I'm looking at the thing thing now. The thing thing. <laughs> the thing. <clears throat> the thing thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I probably, let me, let me. It's pretty sweet, man. It looks like a ton of stretch goals yeah. already. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it's like literally it's every freaking day there's new they're like, hey, guess what? Here's more stuff. Here's more stuff. Nice. That's pretty cool. So, yep. Threw my money at it, and I'm looking forward to painting more crap. <laughs> I don't need <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you reminded me, too. I did get something new, and it's something that I ordered months ago, not through a Kickstarter, but I was very intrigued. You like Battletech. I love the Robotech stuff, like the Macross um, era Robotech and the Whisk, not Whisk Kids. Kids Logic makes a line of resin Robotech models. They looked fantastic. I ordered mine back in July. I just got it the other day, so it's been a few months, um, mm-hmm. three months now at this point. Over oh, over three months it took to get it, and I ordered it from Hong Kong. No offense, Kids Logic, big bad toy store has them and they have more than you have on your store so if you're gonna go for <laughs> if you're gonna order robotech miniatures which I, I i highly recommend they're beautiful they're a little bit smaller than i would i'd like i'd like them a little bit bigger um but it's actually incredibly detailed i got skull leader one which was one of my favorite characters from robotech um and i i will probably if i actually manage to get some paint on that i will probably get a few more down the road yeah, I um when they first came out, I was uh, huffing and puffing because I was really deep into the BattleTech stuff at that point. But I decided not to because it's just that's just another rabbit hole that I didn't want to fall into. And there's some they their sculpts are incredible, and they are true. Uh, what is it one two eighty five scale? Right. So so that's why they're a smidge smaller than the rest, but damn those sculpts are top notch and um yeah you'll pay for them but it, there's there's so many good things that that they've been doing with i that, would say so. the price isn't you and i disagree about this i don't think the price is too bad on them that skull leader one cost me 11 bucks um yeah, shipping was but, stupid you know, of me because I, I got it from hong kong but i could have got shipping at half the price from big bad toy store that was just a dumb i didn't know about that until after because I saw yeah, it on a Yeah, but in 1985 thing. money, it's it's expensive. <laughs> well, no, and, and honestly, that's it, it might be for what it is and its size. Somebody might look at that and say, eleven because they average between eleven and thirteen dollars. Um, and well, unless you want the freaking destroyer thing, which is like, was it like fifty bucks? Right, but he's huge. He's huge. He's gigantic. It's, yeah, it's really a large, large, large badass model. Somebody might look at that and say it's expensive that they don't want to that you know they're looking for models that are more along the lines of the Reaper Bones costs or the Whiz Kids cost. Totally fine. That's how they want to spend their hobby money. You know what I mean? And that's that's all good. You know, for for me, I didn't feel like uh, the eleven dollars I spent on it was was that bad. The shipping on it was stupid. I should have done it through <laughs> Big Bad Toy Store. Um, they're getting a lot of promo in this episode. If you're listening, hey, but. It's just one of those things, you know, and, and that's and, and for you the the value to the dollar isn't as much it isn't worth it to you, so that's all good. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, plus no, it's 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 all good. I mean, it, I, really, I had them in a cart. I had about four or five of them <laughs> in a cart, ready to go. 
and I looked over and all my Battletech guys were all sweeping. So I was like, all right, <clears throat> let me paint you guys first before you before I start going to the next ones. So, you know, and I still have to paint all the ones that are freaking 3D printed. And that's what anybody want a 3D printer out there. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I don't like it. I just don't have time for it. And it takes up all the room where all my my record players are supposed to be stored and fixed. I just want you to print something for me. <laughs> you haven't sent me anything. Yet. I have sent you stuff. <laughs> what? I sent. I, I printed that. That thing one. For you. It was a little small. That one little guy you printed for me, but was that other thing that I got? Or you said you were gonna. You had the fish. The woman on the fish. You already had that. Oh, you want the woman on the I fish? Do. Okay, let me see if I can get this stupid ass thing to work again <laughs> before it gets cold out. When it gets cold out, then it, it won't uh, it won't print anymore when it's cold outside. It has shrinkage problems. <laughs> uh, I was in the pool. Um. Anyways, all right. So, any other announcements or anything that you had that you want to let our listeners listeners you know coral know about? That's right, listeners. No. Should I? No, that's all good. You know? Okay. Um, so I guess with that, that kind of, we can kind of wrap up the episode then, I guess. Sure. All right. Well, you know, we're, we're curious um, if our listeners enjoy this type of show where we talk about genres and how they influence miniatures and miniatures influence genres, et cetera, and the painting and all that lovely stuff. Let, let us know on Facebook or Instagram at Listening to Paint Dry. Or on Twitter at Dry Painting. You can also email us at uh, listening to paint dry at gmail.com. Subscribe, like, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. A share or a good review would be very helpful for the show. We're looking for three listeners. You can help us out. So, like Steampunk, freedom of imagination is critical to becoming a better, braver, happier painter. Until next time. See ya. Listening to Paint Dry with Mike and Dan is a production of LTPDWMD. All rights reserved. No portion of this recording may be used without the express written consent of the host. The music is Death by a Thousand Questions by Springtide. Download from the free music archive on a non-commercial attribution share alike basis. All views and opinions expressed in the show are solely the views and opinions of the person who said them. All celebrity voices, if any, were impersonated and done so poorly.